Gallagher's Falch Gamada Folklore, Foot Kralik with Headstuff, Free Fuckle, Galga, Fuckle Galga, August Fuckle Neheran, Ismisha Tarchushay, Ismisha Alla Majakad, and this Bishop Hatter, okay, morning, and I'm just losing my stuff because I've just watched Darren fail to count down from five on his hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God this isn't a visual medium, eh, pal? <laughs> I was deliberately doing it in a confusing way. I wasn't oh, quite okay. sure what you were doing. It was, quite, there, <laughs> <laughs> it was, was really, was, really funny, pal. That was I, great. <laughs> Inglorious Bastards was on television recently, and I was thinking about the way that Germans count on their hands compared to how um, Anglosphere people count on their hands, particularly the, whether you, you use the thumb or not, and you start from the front and the back. And I was reminded of this when Taunishta was uh, was meant the uh, third finger, but it's actually second from the back because Taunishta is second in command. Wow. So, so the so basically, in Irish, we used to count our fingers backwards. Little, little, little finger first. first. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Very Game of Thrones. Very <laughs> finger first. Game of Thrones. I so, still don't watch that. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> I think that everyone in Ireland who doesn't watch Game of Thrones is somehow involved in the motherfucker podcast. Because uh, <laughs> between yourself, Emer, Garagine, and Shewan, and I, know, I remember just trying to say none of them. You, none of you watch. No. I mean, I imagine that maybe two or three of you don't watch Game of Thrones, but I tried to watch once, but I just I couldn't get into it. Really? No, I just couldn't. Oh my God. Oh my God, it's brilliant though. Oh dear. There's not enough thrones. There is exactly one throne. That they're all looking for, which is why I don't know why it's called Game of the Throne. Ah, uh, yes. Anyway. <laughs> that's, that's, so, that's so dismissive. I love it. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, yes. More um, of your shite. <laughs> anyway, today is a special day because we are having our third mailbag episode. Woo! This is my first mailbag episode. It is, and it's, it's high time we had John all up because, you know, we need some common sense and decent judgment, <laughs> and we just haven't had it. Oh, uh, you know, that's me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, um, we, listeners can contact the show at motherfucklorheadstuff.org or on the motherfucklore uh, Twitter handle, and they can get in touch and let us know what they think of particular episodes. If uh, we ever make a mistake, we're happy to clear it up and clarify. If some, we say something that you think needs further clarification, we're happy to discuss it. And if sometimes people just have a story to tell, and that's great too. So today we're just going to look at some correspondence that we've received over the past few months, which uh, we we're happy to share with you and happy to bring some of these things to your attention. We're going to start, uh, Ola, could you read uh, our email from our pal, Joel? Yeah, so this is from Joel. He said, um, great episode this week, thanks. A couple of years ago in the run-up to St. Patrick's Day, I saw a terrible t-shirt in Pennies in Cork with all the awful cliches on it, drunken leprechauns, etc. And the slogan was, I wish I were Irish. Although I was slightly irritated by the uninventive and predictable cultural stereotypes, I did find myself thinking, because they used were rather than was, oh well, at least they used the subjunctive correctly. (laughs) (laughs) I guess whoever designed the t-shirt must have kept up their grammatical studies long enough to understand the Mokali look. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the the subtle difference between I wish I was Irish and I wish I were Irish. Is there much of a difference anymore, though? I think I wish I was has come into, particularly in Hiberno-English, it's really come into, um, you know, popular use, popular parlance. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Like, I mean, the hill I'm going to die on is I, I will never accept people using less instead of fewer. I listened to a politician this morning on the radio saying that there are less houses 
and it just it gives me a shiver. Then I hate it. What's the well? What's I mean? I've, I'm I'm aware of this um of this grammatical point, but I'm not sure. I I don't completely see. I mean, I'm not saying you're. I'm mean, clearly you're not wrong, but I'm. I'm it's obviously a, it's, I'm not wrong. Let's oh. just get that right. I'm okay, not wrong. Not, you're, Patty's you're, never wrong. I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. Thank I'm, you. I'm, I'm saying that it's, it's one of these grammatical. It's one of the points that maybe I've, I've I'm a, aware of that I've never so, really felt had strong feelings about myself. So it's not it's not it's not a difficult point. Like if you can count them, if there's a physical quantity of them, yeah. and and there's less of them than there used to be, then it's fewer. So less housing, fewer houses. You know, uh, less of a crowd, fewer people. Yeah. Less money, fewer euro coins. Yes. I've never actually thought of it that way, to be honest. I think I usually use less, oh, to be honest. Oh, oh, man, man. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's good that we can clarify that one as well. Yay! Excellent. So everybody wins. That's Stuff fine. that hasn't even been written in. <laughs> so thanks very much to Joel. Joel was writing in response to our Mo Canelic episode. So oh, was oh. that because when he said great episode this week, it could of course re- you know refer to any episode, but it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, <laughs> okay. How do you have some correspondence there from uh, from a, a friend? It's a, a brown envelope, is it? <laughs> it may be a brown envelope, but it comes all the way from uh, Croatia. And Ante writes to say, Dave, a fan from Croatia here. I did my Erasmus in Dublin three years ago and managed to pick up some Irish. I can gladly say that I can order a pint and ask to go to the toilet Osquelga. Ever since then, I've tried to couple my field, ancient Greek and Latin, with Celts and Celtic languages. So my question, or questions, are, do you know anything about the state of classics Osquelga? Does anyone actually teach, learn Latin and Greek through Irish? Have ancient literary works like the Iliad been translated into Irish? Keep up the good work, lads, especially Especially Garadine Marig Avonreen. I hope that translates into Slay Queen, and, and it does. Uh, P.S. I just listened to the episode where Emer says that people who learn Latin are sad. Just wanted to say that's really funny coming from someone who does Old Irish, but also as someone who does Latin and Ancient Greek, I have to say that I am really sad. Slan, <laughs> Ante. Oh I don't think Ante's sad. I don't uh, think so at all. No, I think Ante no. is pretty cool. Yeah, but that's because you did Latin. I did. I did Latin for three years in school. Oh. And I think it's wonderful. It's it's definitely, it's definitely for me coloured my opinion. When I hear people talking about, particularly the great debate about whether Irish being compulsory or not, um, I I felt that studying Latin was a great privilege. But it's a privilege that's only given to people like me who uh, went to a nice school where these things are available. And it was it was a great privilege to be able to study Latin. And I hate to see that if if Irish wasn't made available to everyone, who'd lose out? Yeah. And often it would be people, um, poor people wouldn't wouldn't get the access to the wonders of Irish. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that like Latin was offered for some people in school. And I kind of wish in a way that I didn't, but I, I did kind of just think, oh, like, why would you study Latin? Like, I did kind of have the idea oh, it's a dead language. And that's, I actually feel bad for that because that's what people say about Irish. I think it's funny because it, do, it does change the way you think about language a lot. The, the, particularly, it's once you learn Latin, you, you can hack the grammar of any language very quickly particularly kind of knowing the cases the difference between nominative and accusative and dative mm-hmm. cases and that's something that does seem to help a lot of our um, in terms of the actual teaching of the classics Osgeilaga a lot of the um, of our major dictionaries were prepared by either by priests or bishops in the in the old days before. well they, they would have been the educated the only way to yeah. get an academic education as it were would have been to go with the church you know to yeah. as it was known but yeah, I mean, look, it's um, th- th- there's there's certainly um, 
a really really interesting question in there in Ante's uh one about the um the the, the translation of um of uh the the classics in, into Irish and yeah I I've just done a little bit of googling and uh yeah apparently it was translated in the the end of the 12th century Ooh. people mm. translated uh the Aeneid by Virgil uh Lucan's Pharsalia and Astatius's Thebaid, and then as well, Merigo Ulysses Machlertis, the wandering of Ulysses, son of Laertes, or the Odyssey, as we would know it. So, yeah, oh. uh, there's an article. Um, there's an article by Robert T. Meyer from November 1952 in uh, Modern Philology, uh, a highly uh, respected journal of the time, where he discusses, um, you know, these these great uh, translations and classics. Unfortunately, nobody's really taken it upon themselves to do much with it recently. I know Anton McLaughlin, a translator and writer, has, has done a lot of playing around with, uh, with some of the classics. Uh, but I'd love, love, love to see... The Iliad, the Aeneid, the Odyssey translated into modern Irish. I think that'd be fantastic. And I don't think, I don't think Ante's sad. He listens to mother folklore. <laughs> One thing I would say is that there has been some work translating the classics into Hiberno English. And this is something that Seamus Heaney did in his kind of, uh, in his golden period when he was translating Beowulf. There was a lot of controversy over how the first word was translated and this could change the entire meaning of the first verse of it. And he went with uh, kind of a so instead of um, if or and, I think it was. That's very Hiberno English, isn't it? So, Beowulf was uh... very much so. So he and and the Reckonans, he also he did translate some other of the Greek tragedies, I think, into using Hiberno English idiom. Oh, that's pretty cool. It it was something probably that deserves a little more attention, but it's something we will revisit certainly. The the wanderings of 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 Ulysses, son of Laertes, we have to. After it gets stuck into that, that could be a whole episode. Well, we need we need Emer on the case because it Definitely. is in, it's in it's in old Irish, it's in medieval Irish. So I, I'm I'm clueless. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna know the first yeah. way around it. Um, and of course, like as far as teaching, learning Latin and Greek through Irish, not in a long time, not in a long time, not since Latin was compulsory. In which case, obviously, in all the Gaelskulana, um, you know, Latin would have been taught through Irish, and uh, and yeah, ancient Greek again when it was more respected, when it was more widely uh, available, it certainly would have been taught through Irish in many of the Grail School in it. But uh, no, not in a long time. Certainly not something I managed to to do at all. Which is unfortunate because I really wish I had that grounding because I went and studied modern languages in in uh, in college. I studied Irish and German and uh, and a little bit of uh, a little bit of Dutch and a little bit of Welsh and a little bit of Basque, a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it would have been it would have been great to have that sort of solid foundation in in Latin because it is it underpins an awful lot of the way we speak. One of my favorite um, one of my favorite bits of of Greek etymology is the word sycophant, mm. which in Greek it means the revealer of figs, a sikos and phantos is. To phantos is like a phantom to when something is shown or revealed and sikos was were, were figs and the idea was that during the sieges of Athens um, they they wanted they wanted to make sure no one was stockpiling figs with a view to being war profiteers ah. and the the Athenian government were going to give a reward to anyone who who uh, ratted on their fig hoarding friends but then they turned out that people ratting on their friends became a much bigger social problem than the actual hoarding of figs so sycophants were bad people. That's oh amazing. God, wow. Of course, in Hiberno English, uh, it's uh, lick arse from the words <laughs> lick, meaning lick, and arse, meaning. Uh, I think we all know that one. Yeah, <laughs> but in Irish, in Irish, of course, a sycophant. One way to say a sycophant is a plomasi. 
Yeah. Someone who plumasses, and we have plumas in Hiberno English as well for the act of blowing smoke up the hoop of uh, someone else. <laughs> Th- thank you very much to Ante for that correspondence. So the next one is from our friend Sharon. So it's hello, Derek, and all the motherfucker lore peeps. I really enjoy the podcast. I found it a couple of months ago, but recently I went back and listened to all the archives. As someone who's very slowly learning Irish as an adult, I really appreciate the tricky territory you're navigating between accessible to confused beginners and interesting for fluent speakers. You talked some about how the inflections of nouns have changed massively from old Irish to modern Irish, but has has the system of Irish verbs changed at all in the last couple of centuries? Particularly, I wanted to know if if Irish ever used the formal and formal U conjugations which show up in other Indo-European languages. I'm thinking of how English dropped thou and its conjugation and Latin American Spanish mostly dropped vosotros and associate grammar. I started wondering because I found a conjugation of B, which I couldn't find in any of the verb charts in a document from the mid-19th century. It would make sense if the two former changed some. Anyway, thanks for the show. Regards, Sharon. Yeah, really interesting. Uh, if you look to Scots Gaelic, you get uh, you get an idea that there is still the remnants of a formal and informal U. Uh, so in, in Scots Gaelic, who is uh, U, same as two, but they use shiv, which is the third person. Uh, no, it's not. It's the second person plural. <laughs> second person plural, which they use as a formal uh, or used up until recently as a formal U. Um, that's the same in German. Where it's uh, you know it's it's do and z, uh, and z is also uh, you know you is uh, mm-hmm. the, the plural. Um, something that didn't really occur in Hiberno English uh, because it was not the language of the, uh, the 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 what's the what's the word I'm looking for the yeah the fa- the, the the quality as they used to call the quality the yeah, quality that's the word for it. <laughs> it was not yeah Hiberno English is never the the language of the quality people. Um, didn't speak it on Quality Street. Uh, yeah, so yeah. And, and then, of course, English dropped thee and thou, which were the informal. Yeah. Uh, mm. and, and you and ye used to be the uh, the formal. So really? you're speaking to your betters, yeah. which is weird because then when you watch any of those like uh, programs or films about like King Arthur and all that stuff, and there are so many anachronisms, but they're still, they always go, uh, oh, how art thou? Yeah. Which is the Shakespearean equivalent of how are you? <laughs> And thee and thou still have an existence in Yorkshire. They do, oh. by gum. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I know this from growing up watching Last of the Summer Wine. Um, <laughs> seriously, I, and, and they would they would say, "How art thou?" You know, uh, you know, would they have a would they have a cigarette for me? And it's always informal. It's always to friends, uh, and it's it's remnants of the way it it used to be. And then how um, how verbs have changed. Uh, yeah, they have. One of the most important ways they've changed is, is that we don't really see the Furham Hacha as much as we would have done in medieval or, or old Irish. Uh, Furham Hacha is like the um, where you conjoin the pronoun and the, the, the noun. So we use it in some cases. In the present tense, we use it in Irish. So instead of saying be in May, we say beam. Yeah. So be in May, Egal, I, I do be drinking. Be Miguel is what we say. Now, in Ulster Irish, they've completely and totally eradicated the firm Hodge. They just don't have it. In Munster Irish, they have it for all the tenses. Past tense, future tense, present tense. It's all over the shop. And then 
Connacht Irish tends to split the difference and goes with the same as the Kaidon Ifigil. So, yeah, the, the, the way we use verbs has changed. Language is always uh, evolving and it has evolved over the last couple of centuries. Uh, we did get rid of the formal informal and we have changed the way we use verbs. But, yeah, fascinating question. Fascinating. And, and again, in Hibernum English, the informal you plural has a. Uh, it is very much informal, and it's interesting how there mm. this, there is a subtle difference between ye, yes, yows, and yeser in Dublin. Well, ye yeah. is for culties. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my god! God, like, <laughs> like a, a come all ye, which is a traditional Irish ballad, would be a come all yes, come all yes. Yeah, in yeah, Dublin, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> come all yes, young bowsies. Uh Yeah, and of course, yeser is the possessive. Mm-hmm. Mm. So our our yes. Uh, you know, are you having you our dinner? <laughs> and then, of course, use is just emphasis. Are you having you our dinner? Or are they having you our dinner for you? My my father moved to Dublin first and uh, he had, um, obviously he grew up in Kerry. He went to UCC and then to university in Dijon. And then after he, while he had to be, went, went to work in Dublin. And he was uh, surprised from the, the the cry in the streets when, um, when, when, that, that, when children were being advised that the dinner was ready. They were told their dinner was poured out. <laughs> it's in you know come on, <laughs> you come in whacker for your your, dinner, your dinner's poured out your dinner's poured out and the is it because it was always coddle it was always coddle yes oh. <laughs> I've oh. never had coddle but I just feel like I won't like it what you feel like you won't like it that's terrible <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> I've seen pictures no you've been listening to Derek's anti-coddle propaganda for far too long Maybe we should have a, a, a coddle cookery session. You've been session. suggesting yeah, this for should. a long time, Derek. You've been suggesting it for a long time. It's not going to happen, man. Let's do it. We should do like a coddle challenge. You know the way on YouTube they do like spicy ramen challenge. We should do that here. A coddle we, challenge. Yeah. I do a coddle challenge. We both have to eat coddle. You both have to eat coddle. We have to eat each other's coddle. I'm not eating the coddle that you've cooked. You're an anti-coddle <laughs> okay. terrorist. Okay, we will um, we will discuss this in the next episode. We will talk about how the coddle challenge is going to go down. It's going to be great. Anyway, we have some more. <laughs> You're really nailing your colours to the mast on this yes. coddle challenge. It's definitely <laughs> happening in the next episode. Yeah, we will have to, we have to have a separate live show for that one. Um, <laughs> Coddle's slow cooked. Like, can we have a two and a half hour live show? <laughs> we have two live shows coming up. One one of which will be in the Sugar Club in Dublin on the 10th of October. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. And the other one will be in Newbridge, County Kildare on the 13th of October. Yeah, so and so if you can't make the double one, do try and catch us in Kildare or vice versa. Yeah, so if we start cooking the coddle during the live show in Dublin, it'll be, it'll be ready <laughs> and it'll be delicious it'll be nice by the following mushy. Saturday. By the, no, the potatoes will be mushy and the sausages will be firm. It'll be lovely. It'll be gorgeous. It'll be fantastic. But before we finish up on coddle, I would like to point out that one of my favourite Kennings in Hiberno English is a term for the sausages and coddle. They're known colloquially as the widow's memory. Oh. Do you, do you, you don't get that, do you? No. Okay. Maybe it's, maybe, maybe, maybe it's better that you don't. Okay. okay. Ola doesn't get that, the, the widow's memory. And, you know, and let's move on. This is Chris Fitzgerald from a podcast called Right Stuff. Just letting you know that if you're interested in reading or writing or just listening to interviews with interesting people, tune into Write Stuff and hear interviews with novelists, poets, songwriters and people involved in the writing and publishing industry. Past episodes are with the likes of Colm Tobin, Donald Ryan, Liz Nugent, Emer McBride, Michael D. Higgins. So listen in. Write Stuff.
So this next letter, it's um, I think it's from a Rob. Yep. Oh, oh, you're going to read this one for us. Hi, Derek and Gags. Show sure, Rob. I've really loved listening to your podcast while at work. They have given me so much to think about and given me a glimpse into the current happenings regarding Irish language enthusiasts here in Ireland and elsewhere. For your show, I wonder, would a cuplum no made feel, I'm sure, gnaw August and I'm sure gnaw be of use to listeners? I read that Irish speakers stubbornly held on to the gna, I'm sure gnaw beam, beam, as a reaction to the spread of English, that might give you an interesting historical context to mention to your listeners. The Aimshaganakacha also happens to look scarily like the dreaded Mokaliluk. Apart from Bivik, do other verbs in that tense get used much in everyday speaking? By the way, I think that the Tishalginaduk is a lot trickier than Mokaliluk. I'm not sure why people get worked up about it. The two tenses mentioned don't seem to appear in modern English either. Rob's dead right, by the way. Like, yeah. you know, people do get worked up about the uh, the, the, the Mokaniluk, mm-hmm. but like the Tishalkinduk is an awful lot trickier. And the I'm sure Gunachatje and the I'm sure Gunalaihruk are. Now, the I'm sure Gunalaihruk doesn't exist in the Queen's English, but it does exist in Hiberno English. And you hear it all the time. There's a big difference between I am drinking and I do be drinking. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, I am drinking is in the moment. It's what's happening right now. Um, and yeah, I drink or I do be drinking. It, it, it's uh, it, it's sort of indicative of a habit. You know, in, in English, English, in the English of England, they're interchangeable. I drink and I am drinking. I am, you know, they're, they're, I, I swim and I am swimming. They're almost interchangeable. You mm-hmm. know, one is kind of more indicative of a habit. But yeah, in Irish... The Amshaganailahuk, be my goal, I do be drinking. Tome a goal, I am drinking. You know, one raises concerns about what I'm doing uh, in the middle of the day, drinking uh, all the time. And the other one is just, okay, he's only drinking in the middle of the day once. It's probably just a, an aberration. It's, it, it's fine. Um, and then the Ganachache uh, is like, I, I used to be. I, I did I did be drinking mm-hmm. um, uh, you know I don't know why am I going with drinking all the time I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even drunk I understand but yeah the I'm sure Gnachache now as to to Rob's question like do any other verbs in the Gnachache get used yeah particularly in in, in Munster from my own experience you, you would say like a Rhein Egg Egg Schul Gachla I used to go yeah. Uh, no. No. Hewlin Gachla. I used to walk. Uh, or you know, there's loads of action verbs, particularly if they involve physical movement. Um, that that would be that would be used in the Gnachache. Obviously, Vich uh, or Vin um, is is the most common because to be is the most commonly used verb in 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 English. Vich is probably the most commonly used verb in Irish. Uh, so it's it's the most common one. But yeah, they do uh, uh, in everyday speaking. The Ganachach is tricky. It's sort of the kind of thing you can survive without. Um, just don't tell anyone what you used to be doing. Live in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Ganachach, you can't, you can't really do without because you need to explain, you know, what's what's a perpetual habit and what am I just doing mm-hmm. this once. So like, Tom Mayer and Bud Kralisho, I'm on this podcast. Beam and Bud Kralisho, I'm on this podcast. Regularly, yay! Woo. Excellent. I think I think that that, yeah. that covers the basics, and, and these are topics we are going to cover again in some of our grammar episodes, which Patter is is forbidden from being on. Yes, I'm forbidden from being on because I I, I said it's simple, 
and 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 to be honest with you, I I don't mean to say that like Irish is simple. It's not. What I mean to say is like unlike some other languages, once you crack the rules of Irish, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's kind of like German in that respect. Whatever it is, it's not like English, which mm. keeps coming up with things that I think are just designed to trick learners. Like English makes no sense. No sense. Why is the plural of child children and not childs? Like that makes no sense. Why does cough not rhyme with tough? Cough tough. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah. Think about it. C O U G H T O U G H. They should rhyme. And they don't. They don't rhyme with though either. It's oh. just weird. <laughs> yeah, English. English is a weird language. It must be stopped. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> We will. Um, that's it's. I think that 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 is the case. I think if, if you if you're able to get in the headspace where you can just appreciate Irish for what it is and not why how it's different from English, then you can really get your head into two it. separate languages. Yep, they sure is. <laughs> All you need to know is that Irish makes sense and English doesn't. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, I I see, Patter, you have another letter there. I do. Yeah, uh, a lovely when, letter here written from... in Quill. <laughs> It's uh, it's uh, from Simon. Uh, Simon writes to say, Dear Derek, congratulations for setting up the Mother Folklore podcast. It's a revolution in the dissemination of the Irish language and has intrigued someone like me who frankly ignored Irish in school. Uh, it was more of a poor general standard of teaching, really, than any kind of a, a ambivalence. Uh, but there was also the narrow-minded cultural nationalism that was present throughout the, cu- the curriculum. The hot breath of de Valera's ghost down the back of one's neck, so to speak. On the subject of school, and in particular, Peg, I was always fascinated by the Blasket Islands, its hardships and honest simplicities, as expressed through a generation of writers. But my introduction to it was Robin Flower's book, The Western Island, a poetic work which draws one to the folk wisdom of the islanders and their fascinating way of life. The Western Island is still the best book about that period and those characters and it's interesting that it took Flower, an English scholar who learned Blasket Irish with great enthusiasm to write it. Of course, Flower was not the only foreign scholar or anthropologist to visit the Blaskets. Uh, as you've commented on your podcast, we owe the Gaelic Revival to a small group of outsiders and it could be said that you and your team of enthusiastic friends are the latest incarnation of these outsiders contributing to Avyokan na Gaelga. Your light-hearted and confident approach has dispensed with old-fashioned notions of reverence for the language, despite what many think these notions of reverence are still alive and well within the world of quote-unquote official Irish. But you've been clever enough to establish a solid set of defences against charges of, charges of flippancy before you got going. The book, your own fluency, and above all, your, obviously, your obvious respect for the language and its evolution. What you're doing is, in my view, stating certain facts that officialdom is still afraid to do. Uh, this is where Simon gets controversial because he says that means accepting that Irish is not a living language in the sense that people in the Gaeltic speak nothing, nothing else and that the goal of the state uh, should not be to make the, the entire country one day into a Gaeltacht. Instead, where I see your greatest potential is in creating the conditions for Irish to be as living a language as people want it to be. People want to try and make it a more integral part in their daily lives, they can. If they want to see Irish as something of cultural or historical significance, they can. That's fine too. What Motherfuckler is doing is exciting and revolutionary. I hope others follow your lead, though with a little bit less swearing. Best wishes, <laughs> Simon. That's nice. It was really lovely for Simon to get in touch and I do appreciate the, those words and the, the support. I've, I think it's the, in terms of how, I suppose, what's next for and this is something Pater and I, and, and I think all as well, we've, we've spoken about that some of the things that we've done in terms of promotion or discussion of the Irish language 
maybe they they couldn't have been driven by the state because the way the way a government department has to explain itself to ministers, the way it has to kind of account for funding and the kind of and the the inherently defensive way that that states kind of have to do their business means that it would be very hard to do something as creative as your show on Radio Oliva as like something as as informal as Pablo Gelduct or something as irreverent Absolutely. as the Irish Four. And so it, I, I like the fact that I suppose we. Well, we we are very supportive of every endeavor by the state to advance Irish. There's also a place for for, for on the outside of that tent to talk about it in a way that where where, I mean, if if I had to write a freedom of information requests about where you know about the sources of different Irish words, or if you had oh. to explain how many pints of Guinness were drank at a public Gaeltacht, too many. <laughs> I could never yeah. justify that to the public accounts committee. This is why I can't be state funded. However, we have to acknowledge the importance that the state plays and, and the important role the state plays and the importance of it continuing to play that role. Without the state, there's no Gwaelskull in it. Without Gwaelskull mm. in it, there's no Ola or Patter sitting here talking about this because we both we both yeah. have learned Irish. You know what I yeah. mean? It's uh, it's it's uh you know it's just important that both things happen. We need to have the freedom to operate outside the restrictions that the state would impose, but we need the state to do its part. And and there's an argument that perhaps the state is not and we always see these Outsiders outside of officialdom coming in, and now when 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 Robin Flower visited the Blasket Islands, and and he he shone a light on on a way of life that was that was sadly dying, and it was important that he did that. But it was people like him, and he would have been inspired by the previous generation, the likes of Kuno Meyer, who uh, came over, was a German language uh, scholar who was fascinated by Celtic languages and came to Ireland as well. And yeah, and Robin Flower, um, again, when I went down to the Blaskets to study um, to study the life of Tommaso Criffin and Peg Sayers and the likes, uh, Robin Flower's translation of Antilanach by Tommaso Griffin was invaluable. And then his own poetry um, as Blahin, that was his Anamkleta or his pen name, Blahin, Little Flower, um, because that was the nickname that he got on the island from Tommaso Griffin when he was working with the Blasket Islanders to translate their literature. Uh, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely fascinating. And it does take people from outside a system to promote the system on occasion, but it's important that the system works the way it's designed to as well. Excellent. And unfortunately, that is all we have time for today. Oh, oh, unfortunately, oh, that's all we have time for today, but we will be having another mailbag episode soon because the, uh, the correspondence is coming in thick and fast. Keep oh, well. them coming. Yay! <laughs> Absolutely. And we do really appreciate all the supportive and thoughtful and kind words people have been saying for the show. And in the meantime, um, Ola, where can people find your show? On Radio Liffa every Saturday from four to five. Shaila Sultari, that's the name. And Pat, where can people find your show? Also on Radio Liffa, but I'm on Mondays at eight with my new show, Ard Kahar, a magazine show about Dublin and all the great things that happen in the city. And you can find me right here in the head stuff on Mother Folklore, where I'll always be. In the meantime, it's a slon for me. A slon for me. And slon Wamshire. Catch you next time. Hey everyone, it's Patter from today's podcast episode. Uh, just to remind you that there's a range of wonderful podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Uh, you should really check out Juvenalia. It's easily the second best podcast in the world. Uh, they're fantastic people and it's great. There's loads of other ones. Big fan of Personality Bingo with Tom Moran and In the Shower with Taz and Marcus as well. So check those out on headstuff.org or wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, thanks a million to Brian on production and to Kirsten Shield for 
her ever incredible artwork. And just a wee reminder that Mother Folklore Live will be taking part in the Dublin Podcast Festival as part of a double header with the Irish History Podcast. Finn Dwyer's always excellent uh, historically focused podcast. That's on the 10th of October in the Sugar Club. And then Mother Folklore Live will uh, take a trip to the Kildare Readers Festival uh, to perform live in Newbridge on the 13th, Saturday the 13th. So if you're interested in seeing the magic happen live with with no edit, uh, so all the mistakes will happen. You can only see those errors and it involves Derek cursing like a sailor if you come to Mother Folklore Live. A sailor with a toothache. (laughs) You ruined the outro. (laughs) You ruined the outro. Don't forget that you can contact the show at at Mother Folklore on Twitter or email us motherfolklore at headstuff.org. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sugar Club. Thanks.